Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to the service from me, Andy. Um, it's a great privilege to be with you this morning, and I bring greetings from Moneyhole Church over in Kings Norton. Uh, before we read God's Word, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, uh, Lord, thank you for giving us your Word uh, that contains everything we need to know uh, for life, for salvation, for godliness. And we pray now, Lord. Uh, We look to you and we look to your help of your spirit. Lord, open our eyes to see the wondrous things in your word. Open our hearts to receive and believe what you have to say to us. Lord, I pray that you would use your word this morning to teach and to train, to correct and rebuke, Lord. Speak into our lives. I pray, Lord, if there are any here this morning who are not in Christ, I pray, Father, that salvation may come, that by your grace you might save those, um, Lord, who are lost without you. And those of us, Lord, who are in Christ, Lord, who have that assurance of salvation, I pray that you would help us, encourage us and challenge us, Lord, speak into our lives through your word. And we pray it for your glory, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our reading is from the book of Acts and chapter 16. If you've got a Bible, please open up Acts and chapter 16. I'm going to read from verse 16. Uh, Just before we we read it, let me just give you the context. Paul and Silas are um, missionaries sent out by the church in Antioch. And they're going around the ancient world telling people about Jesus. And they've come to a city called Philippi in Greece. And at the beginning of this chapter, God wonderfully saves a wealthy businesswoman called Lydia. She was at a prayer meeting and Paul goes along there and he speaks the word of God to them. He speaks of Christ and God opens her heart and she comes to faith. Her and her whole household become believers. And it's, it's likely that Lydia became, her house became the place where the church began to meet in Philippi. Well, in verse 16, we're picking up on what's going on in Philippi, what happens next. And it's a dramatic contrast to that quiet conversion of Lydia. Well, let's hear God's word. This is Acts chapter 16, reading from verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept up doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when our owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, and they dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them, and gave orders to beat them with rods. 
when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew out his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus. And you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrate sent the police, saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have set, sent to let you go. Therefore come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and they've thrown us into prison and do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison They visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break with blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Uh, Those words were written by William Cowper, who was a, a contemporary and a close friend of John Newton. And I don't know if you know, but throughout his life, Cowper suffered with, with deep depression. There were many times when he felt the dark clouds filling his horizon. And yet it was through those dark days that Cowper was able to write such beautiful, comforting hymns. 
And God has blessed generations of Christians through Cowper's hymns. God's ways are mysterious. We don't always know why he allows the suffering in our lives. But we can always trust in his good purposes, even in our pain. That's our title this morning, Purpose, God's Purpose in Our Pain. Now a classic example of this that we see in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph, how his jealous brothers sell him into slavery. And then a bit later he is falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and he's thrown into prison. That later, when he's reunited with his brothers, he says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God was at work in all those trials I've been through to bring about the saving of many lives. The supreme example of this is is the cross of Christ. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaching to the crowd, he says, Wicked men crucified and killed Jesus. But he was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. We don't always know why God allows us to suffer in particular ways. But we can always take comfort that God has good purposes, even in our pain. And we see another example of this in our passage today, in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they've come to this city of Philippi. And uh, they are treated shamefully. But through their suffering, God brings salvation. The first lesson I want to learn from our passage is be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. You know, it was years after this incident that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. You've got the letter there in our Bibles, the book of Philippians. And he wrote to that church and he says, It has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. And when Paul wrote those words, you know, Paul wasn't writing those words about suffering for Christ, you know, sat in a cosy armchair by a crackling log fire, you know, with a nice mug of tea and some hot buttered toast. He wrote those words to that church in a cold, damp prison cell with scars all over his body, the marks of his suffering for Christ. Well, Acts chapter 16 describes one of those occasions of Paul's suffering. And it begins, doesn't it, with this disturbing encounter with an evil spirit. Yeah, we read, don't we, in verse 16, they were going to the place of prayer and they're they're met by a slave girl who has a spirit, an evil spirit of divination that brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And she starts following Paul and crying out, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Uh, That language Luke uses there, a spirit of divination. It it literally means a python spirit. At the time, uh, this was associated with the worship of Apollo. This python spirit was depicted as, as a dragon or a snake. 
And the people believed that this spirit would take control of young women and enable them to, to predict the future and foretell it. And it was that belief that, that, that caused their owners to gain so much money. Well, we're not told why she started following Paul and Silas, are we? We're not told why she was shouting out at them. But you might recall similar behavior in the Gospels. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in a synagogue and he's accosted uh, by a man with a, an evil spirit, a demon. Luke chapter 4, verse 33. In the synagogue, there's a man who has an unclean spirit, a demon, and he cries out to Jesus with a loud voice. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him and said, be silent, come out of him. And the demon came out of him immediately. Well, after days of being followed by this girl and pestered by her and this spirit within her, Paul turns around and he does the same. Verse 18, Paul, it says he'd become greatly annoyed and he turns to the spirit and he says, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And immediately, that very hour, it did. Now, that language being greatly annoyed, it can be translated in different ways. It means deeply troubled, deeply disturbed. Paul realized that this poor girl was being controlled by this evil spirit. She was not only in bondage to this spirit, but now the spirit was trying to stir up trouble for Paul and Silas. I don't know if you thought this, but at first it's, you might have thought, surely this is good advertising, isn't it? She's going around, you know, shouting out to everyone in Philippi, hey! These are servants of the Most High God. They're telling you the way of salvation. Sounds like good advertising, doesn't it? Well, in that pagan culture, that that language, the Most High God, the way of salvation, it could be interpreted in so many different ways. And coming from the lips of this notorious slave girl, it was do more harm than good. So Paul sets this girl free from this spirit And in doing so, her owners realize they've lost their source of income. They drag Paul and Silas to the marketplace to face the authorities. And they make these serious accusations against them. And did you pick up the the anti-Semitic tone of their accusations? These men are Jews. They're troubling us Romans. Disturbing our city, advocating customs that are not lawful for us. It's ironic, isn't it? It's not Paul and Silas disturbing the city, causing a big huff and trouble. No, it's these slave owners. But nonetheless, the crowd join in. The crowd that are being drawn, they join in attacking them. And worse still, the magistrates, those who are there to uphold law and order... They go along with it. They order Paul and Silas to be stripped, to be beaten savagely with wooden rods, and then thrown into jail and placed in the stocks. They were treated shamefully. 
There's no attempt to investigate the accusations. No opportunity for Paul and Silas to give a defence. Their guilt is assumed and they're punished severely. It is an extreme example, but it's a reminder to us. If we're Christians, we should be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. In this fallen world, with the devil at work, with people broken in their sin and in rebellion against God, if you're a Christian, you will suffer for your faith. You will face hostility and hatred. Christians in some parts of the world today are literally beaten and imprisoned and even executed for their faith. We may not suffer to that degree. We may not be shouted at by demons or beaten with rods. But if we're Christians, we will suffer for Christ. We may be misunderstood, misrepresented, falsely accused. Simply speaking the truth in love today is enough for some to accuse us of inciting hatred. It may be in the home, it may be in the classroom, it may be in the office or the the factory floor, but we will suffer for Christ if we're faithful to him. So we shouldn't be surprised, we should be willing to suffer. Now this doesn't mean we should always suffer in silence. Did you notice what happens here? At first, Paul and Silas, they, they just take the beating, don't they? They, they go to jail. But the next day, when the magistrates want to get rid of them quietly, Paul objects. Now, hang on a minute. They've beaten us publicly without a trial, without a crime. We're Roman citizens. They have broken the law. No, they want to get rid of us quietly. No, they can come down and escort us out. And when the magistrates hear this, they're they're afraid. They didn't realise they were Roman citizens. So they come down and they they apologise. Don't misunderstand what Paul's doing here. This isn't spite. This isn't revenge. He was standing up for what's right, for justice. Standing up for the rights of all those who would be mistreated. Especially for any Christians who are going to remain in Philippi when Paul is gone. So the first lesson here is to be willing, if we're Christians, to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. The second lesson I want to bring out is we should always be ready to witness to the world. Always be ready to witness to the world. Now, Try and put yourself in Paul and Silas's shoes. Trying to imagine you've just experienced what they went through. You you would think they would be in no fit state to talk to anyone, to do anything, would you? You'd expect them to be feeling downcast and dejected, even angry at their shameful treatment. They've been publicly humiliated, stripped beaten severely with wooden rods, thrown into jail like you know, terrible criminals. 
Their bodies are, are, are bruised and covered in blood. Their arms are chained to the walls. Their, their feet are in the stocks. And for what crime? For freeing a poor slave girl from an evil spirit. And yet, despite all of that, despite all of that suffering, what are they doing? They're praying and singing. At midnight, they're praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners are listening to them. No wonder what a witness they are to their fellow prisoners. And unbeknownst to Paul and Silas, God is about to bring great blessing through their brokenness. What follows is a very dramatic scene, isn't it? There's a violent earthquake The foundations of the prison are shaken. The doors fly open. Their chains fall off. The the jailer, Paul Guy, is startled from his sleep. Have you ever been startled suddenly from a deep sleep? It's confusing, isn't it? You're kind of bewildered. The jailer runs down. He sees the door open. The doors are open. And he realizes if the prisoners have escaped, his neck is on the line. So he takes out his sword. I just, well... Take my life now before I'm held accountable. But Paul shouts. For the first time, Paul shouts. Stop, don't harm yourself, we're all here. None of the prisoners have escaped. They're they're enraptured at Paul and Silas. The jailer's terrified. Do you know, at the time, most jailers in Roman colonies were retired Roman soldiers. Can almost picture this kind of guy, a slightly older guy, you know, a tough guy. He's got tattoos on his body, you know. I love mum, big sword and a shield on the other arm. Tough guy. A guy who's been, you know, through many terrifying battles. But now these these events, they have shaken not only the foundation of the, the prison, they've shaken the foundations of his life. He wants to know about this way of salvation that Paul and Silas have been proclaiming. How can I be saved? And they they immediately witness. They immediately respond in love to this man who's been jailing them. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Believe in Jesus. And you'll be saved, you and your household. And they speak the word of the Lord to him. To all in his house. Luke is here giving us a summary, isn't he? We'd love to hear all the juicy detail of what Paul said, wouldn't we? We're just summar- Luke, Luke summarizes it. They speak the word of the Lord to him. They, they tell him about Jesus. The eternal son of God who who reigns on high, who's worshipped by the angels, who came and was born in human flesh. The eternal son of God who made all things. He came and lived among us. He lived a perfect, sinless life. A life of perfect righteousness. The kind of life we should have lived. And he went to a cross and he died on that cross for our sins. 
He bore the punishment our sins deserve. He bore God's wrath on our behalf so that we could be forgiven. So that all our guilt and sin is taken and nailed to his cross. And all his perfect righteousness is is credited to us. So that we can come before a holy God and be assured of his love and his forgiveness. And Jesus rose from the grave. He proved when he rose again that the debt has been paid. That death has been conquered. If we put our trust in him and in him alone, then we will be saved. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Well, wonderfully, the jailer and his household, they hear the word of the Lord and they believe. They believe that good news. Have you? Have you heard that good news? Many times or once, believe in Jesus like the jailer. As soon as he heard this word, he immediately changes, doesn't he? He washes the wounds of Paul and Silas. He, he and his household are baptized straight away. He brings them into his home. He sets a meal before them. It's amazing. The beginning of this chapter, God worked quietly, secretly at a prayer meeting in the heart of Lydia. He saved her. And now, God works dramatically through this exorcism and this earthquake to bring this jailer to salvation. Lydia and and, and this jailer, two completely different people. Completely different backgrounds. And yet they are united in Christ. It all happened because Paul and Silas were ready to witness to the world. You know, God saves different people in different ways. Sometimes quietly and gradually. Others suddenly and dramatically. Some people need an earthquake before they'll wake up to their need of Christ. Do you know, many people have had the foundations shaken through the last two years we've all lived through. COVID, the war in Ukraine, the economic uncertainties, the political instability, it's shaken people's foundations. Well, let's pray for opportunities to witness to the world, to point people to the rock of salvation. Peter says, if you're a believer, always, always be ready, always be prepared to make a defense, to give people the reason for your hope in Christ. Let me encourage you, believer, if you're a Christian this morning, Always be prepared, always be ready and praying for opportunities to point people to Jesus. And if you don't feel ready, if you don't feel prepared, do something about it. Talk with a Christian friend, talk with the elders here at Solihull Church so that you are ready. 
There's one third and final lesson I want us to learn from this passage. The third and final lesson is be rooted in the joy of the Lord. Be rooted in the joy of the Lord. What was it that enabled Paul and Silas to be singing in their prison cell? It seems crazy, doesn't it? After all they've been through. And Luke doesn't tell us explicitly what it was that enabled them to to be singing there. But we can see, we can read Paul's letters and we, we know what was going on there. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. I mentioned it earlier, years after this event. He wrote to that church and we've got that letter, the book of Philippians. Read that letter. And what does Paul keep saying to the church in Philippi? Again and again and again, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Paul was able to rejoice in all circumstances, whether he was free or whether he was banged up in prison, whether he was well fed or whether he was starving hungry. Because his joy wasn't in his circumstances. His joy was in Jesus. And Paul realized, he knew that God was always at work. The sovereign God was always at work, even in his suffering, to accomplish his good purposes. In that letter of Philippians, he writes to them, when he writes that letter, he's in prison again. Can you believe it? He's in prison again and he writes and he says, I want you to know, brothers, that that what's happened to me, my, my, my imprisonment, my suffering, is really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. All these people I'm now amongst, they're hearing the gospel because I'm here. Not only that, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now much more boldly speaking the word of the Lord. See, even in his suffering, Paul could rejoice. He could see that God was bringing blessing to others. He may be suffering, but he can still be singing. Because he's rooted in the joy of the Lord. Let's be honest this morning. So often we seek our joy in every other place but Christ. We seek our joy in created things rather than in our creator and our redeemer. We seek our joy in our our health, in being healthy, or in our education and getting good grades, or in our career, in our relationships, in our financial security, in being admired by others. We seek our joy in all those things. And if those things are threatened or lost, we so easily lose our joy. It's a sign that we're not rooted in the joy of the Lord. 
The trials of life, the the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches can take our eyes off of Jesus. And all that we have in him can steal our joy. We need to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. We need to keep reminding ourselves of who he is and of all that he has done for us. And of all that awaits us when he returns. I love the way Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians. If you read the the, the letter to Ephesians, the first 14 verses of that letter is one long sentence in the Greek. Paul is bursting with praise. Can't contain his joy. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him. Before the creation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love. In love he predestined us. For adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. Praise my soul. The king of heaven. To his feet your tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. Who like you his praise should sing. This Philippian jailer. He was only a baby Christian. He may not have fully understood the great doctrines of the Christian faith. But he knew enough. To rejoice in Christ. He hears the word of the Lord and he believes. And immediately he begins to change. He's marked, isn't he, by humility, kindness, hospitality. But the crowning fruit of this jailer's salvation is his joy. He rejoiced. Along with all of his whole household. That they had come to believe in God. Well if the busyness of life. Or the cares of this world. Have robbed us. Of the joy of the Lord. And let's turn our eyes back. To Jesus. He is the founder. And perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Despising its shame. And now he is seated at the right hand. Of the throne of God. Amen.